I'm Dan. And I'm Alice. And today I'll be talking about World War II with regards to cryptography. So rather than focusing on the Enigma and the work done into breaking it, I'm probably going to look into that later. Today we'll be talking about the code talkers. So they don't get nearly enough recognition for how important they were in the war effort, and it's not really focused on in any of the classes, and I don't think much of the general public knows about them. Not at them. all. So, like, do you know anything about the code talkers? Honestly, I know very little. They aren't all that prominent in history textbooks and in my AP US history and even in my college world history courses, they basically weren't mentioned at all, not even as a footnote in the textbooks. A code talker is the name for Native Americans who actually helped transmit secret messages quickly and safely in World War II. Gotcha. So they were all over the war. The most well known, and I think the majority, were on the Pacific front, but there were others in various locations around Europe and North Africa. So basically, these people were fluent in both their native languages and in English, so they could translate messages between the two very easily. And so this is actually like really ironic in a horrible way because the US had been doing its best to prevent these people from learning their own languages, and then now they need it for like encryption, so it's like, hmm. But yeah, so honestly, like, I can't thank these people enough for actually, like, agreeing to help after everything they'd suffered, no like, kidding. bro. So the most well-known of these is the Navajo Nations who signed up for this, but there were other nations as well. And it was largely Navajo because their language wasn't written and they had very few people who weren't of Navajo origin who understood it. But there were about 19 other nations that I could find from which there were code talkers. These tribes were Assiniboine, Cherokee, Cheyenne, Chippewa, Chakta, Cree, Crow, Hopi, Kiowa, Menominee, Meskwaki, Misasaga, Muskogee, Osage, Pawnee, Sac and Fox, Seminole, and Sioux. That's um, a lot of names. Yeah, and I am very sorry if I pronounced them incorrectly. I looked them all up and I did my best, but I fully acknowledge that I probably pronounced some of them wrong because I had a lot of them to say. I really apologize if I did. Well, at least you did try and put in the effort to yeah, actually pronounce them because honestly, that's more credit than these people even got for participating in the war. Well... In 1940, the U.S. Army was the first branch to begin recruiting code talkers, and the U.S. Marines and the Navy followed a few years later. So the first set of 29 Navajo code talkers finished their training in 1942. So how many of these code talkers were there? I'm not really sure. I could not find any solid numbers really anywhere. I know that there were obviously the original set of 29, but... Overall, like in the Marines, I was able to find that there's probably between 350 and 420, but that gotcha. doesn't account for the Army and the Navy, and it doesn't really give us a totally solid number. But it does give us a starting point, so these people were pretty prominent, all things considered. Yes. And so what they did was, like, as I said before, they, they kind of spoke their own language over the communication systems. However, they had to not only memorize a military code, for their own language. Well, they also had to help make one for their language because it was largely unwritten. Well, and... that's a lot of memorization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently that's like a part of their culture, which is very fascinating. Fair enough. 
And so they had like two types of code. The first type was kind of a code of Navajo terms that stood for individual English letters. So they had a word for each letter, kind of similar to how in English, I think that militaries or people say like... Yeah, Duke. Delta for D, yeah. Charlie for C, yeah, mm -hmm. Alpha for A, yeah. etc. And so in Navajo code, for instance, they used their word for ant to represent letter A, and so their word for ant was wolachi. Which is so... not close to A at all. Yeah. Not in the English language anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, it's pretty clever. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the type 2 code were words that could be translated from English to Navajo and back again. And so there was a dictionary of 211 terms that didn't actually exist in Navajo. Wow. Uh, and it was later increased to 411, way more than I could ever memorize. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, no, so for instance, like submarine, they didn't really have a word for that in there. Gee, language. I wonder why. Well... <laughs> But so they used the term beshlo, which translates to ironfish. I'd say that's pretty close. Yeah. Another one, like fighter plane, was translated to their word for hummingbird, which is, it's really epic. I this love that so one. so cool to me, I love guys. that one. <laughs> A lot of the code talkers were put into pairs. So one would operate and hold the portable radio, while the other would, like, relay and receive the messages to translate into English. And so this was really dangerous. Understandably so. Yeah, especially on the Pacific front, because the Japanese actually had a tendency to target officers, medics, and radio men. Not playing dirty at all there. Well, I mean, it's... It's, it's not war. A, it's war. <laughs> yeah, like, to be fair, it's not a bad war strategy. Oh, not at all. It's, like it's a rather efficient one. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're sabotaging the other side as much as possible, but it's also kind of like... You're Sucky. sabotaging medics. Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of that. <laughs> I'm a little bit salty about that, but that is fine. But so their contribution was actually really, really important for the Pacific field of war and just also like any others because they were actually able to translate three lines of code in 20 seconds. Oh, wow. Uh, in comparison to the 30 minutes it would take previous because they also were trying to encode it anyway with their own machines, but that took forever, you know? You know, that's quite a time saver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marine leadership has, like, actually straight up said that they would not have been able to take Iwo Jima without them. Are there any other major wins that they helped in? So, they had helped in, like, every assault the U.S. conducted in the Pacific between 1942 and 1945. Quite a few. Uh, yeah. Some of the specific ones that I could find were Guadalcanal, Tarawa and Pelilu, <laughs> which I desperately hoped I pronounced right, but I probably didn't. So they actually weren't allowed to talk about like what they were doing since the military wanted to keep the codes unbreakable and thus make them classified, which of is course. understandable. But they ended up being unclassified in 1968, and so they started getting some recognition in the 70s and 80s. But it wasn't until 2001 when they were actually given Congressional Gold Medals. Part of me is honestly surprised that it was as early as 2001. Um, at this point? <laughs> and even now, I, I personally didn't know about their contribution until I read about it in the codebook by Simon Singh. Fair enough. As for my personal experience with any sort of Native Americans in any sort of war movies, the only character that really comes to mind, especially in popular culture, is a character in Wonder Woman who was Native, but that's the only possible representation of Natives in war that I can think of. Yeah, so 
the thing is, like, he was Native American, and I think that he's known as Chief in that movie, but I think that they, he had another name. I'm not totally sure. Yeah. It's been a while. But, so that movie was set in World War One. so obviously a not World War II. field of war. <laughs> there were some Native Americans in World War One who did send messages to one another in their native languages. But it was more of a precursor, and it probably is part of the reason that people had the idea. But it was not really official, nor was it, like, put together by the military. So nothing too much like, or really at all in this case, the code talkers that we are talking about here. Um, not really. And honestly, like, Chief from Wonder Woman doesn't really appear to be one of the people who did this because I don't I don't think he interacted with other Native American people in the movie but I'm not totally sure it's been a while <laughs> yeah but yeah so I it makes me kind of upset that they don't really get much recognition I'm just like y'all as someone with some Native American heritage it's not the greatest to see this little representation yeah it's just like yeah so people can talk endlessly on nuclear weapons new planes the Enigma machine, but then you just ignore these people who were, like, so pivotal. Like, in very dangerous fields of war, too. It's kind of rude if you think about it. Well, I mean, that's how it went with you look at historiography, which is just the history of history. Up until very recently, people weren't really interested in hearing anything about any minority groups, whether that be women, people of different races, you know. People like these Native Americans who put their lives on the line and played really instrumental roles, but people just didn't really care to talk about them until within the past few decades at the best. Mm-hmm. Not ideal. Not so much, no. <laughs> well, just wanted to give these people recognition because I am very thankful to them. It's a fascinating learn, and I think more people should know about it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.